Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, I am here visiting you today on such a beautiful day with some really good friends that I admire so much and especially in terms of the work they're doing. Can I just have a quick greeting from Drs. Ginger and Bill Burkaw before I introduce you? Hi Rob, thanks for having us. Hi Rob. Hey, that's fantastic. So let me tell everyone a little bit about my friends the Burkaws. I really think they're amazing. They are psychologists, but as far as I know and as far as they know, Bill and Ginger Burkaw are the only married, doctoral-level, clinical psychologists who are relationship experts that hold certifications in sex therapy, sex addiction therapy, and partner trauma therapy. So these folks have covered the gamut of the kinds of issues we look at, all the way from relationship betrayal and infidelity to addiction and compulsivity and the pain that all of that brings. The Burkaws are founding directors of the California Center for Healing, a recovery-based betrayal, trauma, and relationship-focused psychological practice in Pasadena, California. And by the way, a little later, I'm going to tell you folks, or they're going to tell you how you can get to some online workshops that these folks do about helping, helping couples regain sexuality. So these folks write too, as they should, and their first book, The Couple's Guide to Intimacy, How Sexual Reintegration Therapy Can Help Your Relationship Heal really brings up the method they begin to use in helping people come together. And then as if they weren't tortured enough by writing a book, they wrote another one called From the Living Room to the Bedroom, The Modern Couple's Guide to Sexual Abundance and Lasting Intimacy. And I think that one's for all couples and not just people who are dealing with betrayal. I want you to know that the Burkhaws have, of course, served as keynote speakers. They've addressed professional and clinical audiences all over the world. And they've also been on a a number of TV shows uh, explaining the issues that um, we're dealing with, not only TV, but print and radio and all that good stuff. And I am here to talk to these folks today about how you reintegrate or even integrate healthy sexuality and restoring trust after betrayal. So welcome, Burkhaws. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us today, Rob. Well, I just think you guys have your finger on a piece of the work that we don't talk about a lot. We talk a lot about betrayal. We talk a lot about heartache. We talk a lot about addiction. We talk a lot about all kinds of things. One of the things we don't talk about is what does a couple do when they're just beginning to find their way back to healing and they have no idea how to integrate sex into their lives and or 
the couples who just haven't had sex in years and they're looking at each other like, or, or maybe during COVID and saying, well, we don't have anyone else to have sex with. So why don't we it with each other? So Dr. Ginger, what are your thoughts about this? You know, I, it takes being super intentional, Rob, in order it, if you're just a couple at home during COVID, it definitely helps if you like each other, that's for sure. But, you know, for couples who are needing to get back on track after sexual betrayal, it really does take a very intentional approach. And that's something that we really discovered pretty much right out of the gate in our work as sex therapists. So we started out initially in the sex therapy field, and we were discovering that, you know, a certain group of clients that we would be meeting with just were not getting better with traditional sex therapy alone. And we discovered that 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 missing link was that we were also working with sex addiction simultaneously. So we really had to get in there and understand what was happening with the betrayal trauma, with um, getting back on track and, you know, reestablishing trust again. And even, you know, whether the relationship can be healed. So let me ask you this. Um, You use the word intentional a number of times. And I think that's probably really meaningful to you. But I'm not sure other folks might understand what you mean by you looked at the therapy and got really intentional about it. What does that mean? Well, you know, look, let's take a step back because I, I think, you know, just picking up on the arc that Ginger was starting to draw there, I think what we realized was that even for couples who made it through the traumatic effects of betrayal trauma, they're still going to struggle in the bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, probably more than, you know, 95% of the time. And many would say, Rob, that they were struggling in the bedroom before they got discovered and before it was discovered. So what do you mean by struggling in the bedroom? It sounds like I mean, it sounds like all kinds of things. So maybe you yeah. can be more specific about that. You know, we've heard a lot in the news lately about pre-existing conditions. So this would be one of them. This would be a couple, um, you know, who would who would probably not say that their sex life was awesome before sexually compulsive or sex, sexually addictive behavior got discovered. That dissatisfaction, as you know, comes in many different forms and packages. Uh, but by and large, we're, we're, you don't typically see couples who have great sex lives, you know, before discovery. And when you mean before discovery, you mean before one partner finds out about all the cheating, all the acting, all the affairs. And then, you know, I have to say, I've seen a lot of couples rush into being sexual again, the minute all this stuff comes out, like they're in some kind of honeymoon. And I'm thinking, wow, you just found out that your spouse cheated on you for 12 years and you're jumping into bed with them. I don't know to hold on to them to try to make, why do people do that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Rob. I think it really is trying to hang on to them. And really trying to manage the the person's sec, the their partner's sexual compulsivity and you know there's a fear that if if I'm not being sexual enough with my acting out spouse then he is going to keep going out and acting out and being sexual other places so then the partner often tends to move in one of two directions which is either really moving into that hypersexual place of trying to meet every sexual need Or, you know, what we really end up seeing a lot more often is just completely shutting down sexually and just disengaging. For a long time. For a long time. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I say to a lot of partners who are in that particular situation where they kind of want to honeymoon with someone or prove that they can be the right partner for them or exhaust the person sexually so they won't want to go out anywhere else. And I often say to those folks, you know, why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? 
Mm-hmm. And that for me is the beginning of them backing away and saying, hmm, maybe this <clears throat> isn't the right direction. So what are the things that you typically found that were missing from therapy for couples like this that you have really expounded on, written about, and all of that? Yeah, you know, you know, we kind of use the analogy of uh, of like life before antibiotics, and even now in our COVID world, there's some parallels because, um, you know, for for couples, I think it's it's not like they don't know some of the reasons why they're struggling. Uh, you know, sometimes it's written in big bright lights. There, there's been this whole secret world. So yeah, that got discovered, and of course, you know, that becomes uh, you know a, a huge crisis. So. It's 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 almost as if we know what's responsible for the symptoms, but we don't really have, or we didn't at the time, we didn't really have an effective treatment protocol that couples could just plug in and use and get better. And you know, we recognize that the the couples part of it was really lagging behind the individual treatment protocols. So that's where we saw an opportunity and a real need to try and come up with something that would offer couples uh, kind of a plug and play program mm-hmm. that uh, would give them the structure that they needed to create uh, a new relationship. This is really interesting to me because I'm at the, a different end. You know, we do a lot of couples work involving just getting people to talk to each other and set boundaries with each other and begin to re-engage each other. I really I think a lot of what we do in treatment is the early stages where people kind of hate each other and they're miserable and sex is a long way off. But we don't we rarely talk about really what happens when the couple is in a good place and they've come back together and trust is being restored. I don't think we talk about that a lot at all. Right, exactly. And so that's really where this model comes in, Rob. This is definitely in what's called secondary recovery, right? When the acting out partner is not only sober and not acting out, but ideally truly in recovery. And, you know, hopefully um, his partner is as well. Or her, or her. We certainly know women act out. Absolutely. Yes. But but let me ask you something. I I just want to actually add something to this. Uh, I've had, you know, lots of sex addicts. We all, that's a big part of our work. But this also applies to people who serially and chronically cheat, right? If I had two affairs over the last 10 years and my spouse found out about it, I would imagine that would be also pretty devastating. Absolutely. Yes, I think it would too. So yeah, I, I get where you're going with that. I think that this model would definitely help with serial cheating as well. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, it's very easy for us to pigeonhole and and focus directly on addicts, but so many people struggle with infidelity and chronic infidelity, broken relationships and loss of trust that I would imagine the model you're talking about could be extended to a whole lot of people who are trying to come through those difficult times. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the core of it, you're looking at disordered intimacy and the model at its core uh, is helping people to develop healthy intimacy mm-hmm. uh, with a focus on emotional and sexual, and then, of course, bringing the two together, uh, which I think really is the holy grail for most people. Most of our recovering sex addicts, and I would say even serial adulterers, really are unfamiliar um, with that healthy integration of intimacy, emotional, uh, with sexuality. So I, I, I think time and time again, we find that people are discovering for the first time, really, uh, no matter how many acting out experiences, no matter how good they were at cheating, this is the first time they've really integrated the, the, the healthy parts of, of their emotional world. So, so wait a minute, Dr. Bill, or Dr. Bill, are you saying that sex is not intimate? Sex can be not intimate because it seems to me that's what everyone talks about. When we're intimate, we're being sexual. So is, does intimacy go beyond sex? 
Well, well, of course, um, you know, so it's a, it's a form of intimacy. It can certainly be done in an intimate way. And uh, hey, you know, if you if if people are are happy having non intimate sex, uh, either either occasionally or as a way of life, you know, that's fine. Unless they're in a committed monogamous relationship, then it's not so fine. So, of course, that's when we want to intervene and see if this couple is willing to do the work that would be necessary on both sides and together to find healthy emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy in the, in the same relationship. So I got to ask you, I, I got to say this because I know if I were just listening to this, I'd be like, okay, what do I do? Where do I sign up? So other than reading your books and, and you know, maybe doing workshops and stuff with you, can you give us a couple of sort of key points, three or four key points that, that directly relate to this work that help couples, either things you want them to achieve or goals that you want or steps that they take so they can get some understanding of how the model works? Definitely. Well, what we're really wanting to do is put something into place for them where they are intentionally moving towards each other. And we want to get them into what we like to call couple flow, which is really helping them to establish that warm connection in the living room, which is, you know, how we refer to the emotional connection and how when you have that warmth there, how it also moves into the bedroom, which is the, the sexual connection. So we, we really help them have different ways of coming together to, to share day to day. We have different communication exercises. We have different, we call them planned intimate experiences, which really helps them really build their sexual and emotional intimacy from the ground up. Can you give us an example of one of those might be just a little one, little one? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Just, uh, I, I think we'll give that by all means, but yeah. just to provide a little bit more context. So I think maybe it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense. What Ginger was talking about, these planned intimate experiences or PIEs, they fall into one of three categories. They're either going to be communication, educational, or sensual. And the sensual ones are based largely on sensate focus. And Dr. Rob, as a sexologist, I know you're familiar with, with the sensate focus technique. So these begin very gradually with caressing of hands, caressing feet, caressing face, caressing back. All of this is designed to promote feeling safe mm-hmm. and to promote feeling present with each other as each partner experiences connection through that slowed down, really sensual way of caressing and being caressed. So one of the first things we have couples do, a typical starting place, would be the foot and hand caress, where they set up the room in a way that feels comfortable. One of them takes the lead in that. Usually we would assign that task to the recovering sex addict or the betrayer. And they take turns, both being the caresser and the one being caressed. So that might not sound like sex therapy to a lot of people. There's not, that's feet. That's, <laughs> it's just that. feet. Um, but it's it's surprisingly connecting for so many people. I think of some of the the most, let's say, 10 out of 10 on the scale of sex addiction clients that I've had. And I can't tell you how many of them have been profoundly affected just by having their hands and feet caressed, having someone slow down, take the time, look them in the eyes as they're very slowly and gently using that that finger-to-skin caressing technique, 
Um, I had one one guy recently um, who talked about the tears that were just rolling down his face that came out of nowhere. Um, this was a man's man, a manly man who didn't cry. And all of a sudden, there he is, his wife's ca- you know, caressing his feet. And, and Mr. Manly Man, um, it turns into a puddle. So um, that, that's that's what we're going for. And, and, you know, when people are willing to show up and just be present and, you know, forget about, achieve, you know, performance and, and achievement in the bedroom and all of that, uh, really good things happen, things that they, generally speaking, haven't really experienced before. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love & Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. So we talked about sensuality and the idea that you know, in a very structured and slow way that this couple will re-explore if they ever did, by the way, some people just have, you know, intercourse and they never do anything else. So either explore or re-explore over a period of time, the sensuality and the touch that they maybe have never experienced or haven't done in a long time. And I'm sure that leads to a lot of great things because I can tell everybody as a sex addict that I had sex with lots and lots of people and it was intense and amazing and all of that was, but there's something about the feeling of letting go and being safe with someone you care about that sexuality comes from a completely, an orgasm, all of it, it all comes from a completely different emotional place. It feels like a different place in my heart and brain. And I think that's what you're wanting to bring people toward, not some quick, intense experience where they can say, oh, we're having sex again, but something more meaningful. Uh, That's what I'm getting. That's exactly right, Rob. And it, you know, it is much more meaningful because you're intentionally connecting and bonding, right? Intentional. There's that word again, intentional. So what does that mean? I'm going to ask you, doctor, what does intentional mean? Well, in this context, what it means is being fully conscious and present and, you know, two people showing up with the exact same expectations and, you know, being there to just be present and in the moment and not having it be goal oriented or performance driven, but much more about just being able to enjoy the moment and to give and receive pleasurable touch and convey warm feelings in that way as well. You know, I just want to touch on that briefly is that a lot of people who've been having affairs and sexually addicted, they tell me that they want to have all the sex, all the sex, except when they're with their partner. And then they're not interested and their intimacy disorder shows up in their relationship. And so what I often tell them, and I don't know if this relates, but I want to make sure it's said, is I think people who are so focused on objectified bodies and body parts and people you don't know in porn the way you come to that kind of sexuality is through such an intensity. It's all new, it's exciting, it's hidden, it's, you know, you're going to do it, it's it's all of that. But being sexual with a partner is nothing like that. I, I've seen that but before, you know, for the last 20 years. So it isn't going to come out of, ooh, I want some of that like it does to the addicts and the chronic cheaters. I think what you're teaching them is that their sexuality and connection needs to emotionally be more from maybe willingness instead of horniness. Yeah. And and, and so that's a trade-off, I think, that most recovering sex addicts make, at least to some extent. You know, we we also recognize that there can be plenty of good, healthy 
intensity um, uh, in, in healthy sexuality as well. It doesn't, uh, you know, the intensity itself doesn't doesn't mean it must be addictive. So some people just want to do it, and right. that's okay too, once in right. a while. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, what, whatever works. Again, as long as it's working for your spouse as well. So I want to make sure that we get to a couple of other things. You mentioned that there were three things, and sensuality was one of them, in terms of restoring couple sexuality and intimacy. What were the other two? Uh, well, another category would be communication. Um, so uh, Ginger, I think, mentioned a couple of them. You know, one, one of the, I, I think the ones that people keep coming back to are the daily shares. So this is just a, a three to five minute check-in that doesn't have to deal with acting out. It's really a general check-in. You can pull any couple off the street, have them do a daily share. And we'd say they probably feel at least a little bit closer to each other after they're done. We, we actually developed it for ourselves. And we realized shortly after we had our first child that here we are doing couples therapy with other people and, you know, really helping them get closer. But we, we weren't feeling all that close. You know, we were having a little bit of an issue adjusting to just the time crunch that, that all new parents feel. So that's how that one came to be. But what you're talking about, I think, is a lot of structure and a lot of boundaries that you're introducing. I mean, I'm imagining you're saying to a couple, listen, I want you to spend a half hour every night or every other night, and I just want you to talk about what's going on with you and each other without bringing up the difficult things. So you're giving them a struct, I mean, without bringing up, let's say, the addiction or the cheating, but talking about, about each other, that, that you're actually structuring and putting boundaries around. If the phone rings, if somebody wants, they have to not let themselves be interrupted. And as you said, be intentional about making sure they take this time for one another. Exactly. And, you know, in this specific exercise, is one where we definitely recommend you turn your phone off, the TV is not on, and you're having eye contact, right? Which is a whole nother level of connecting as well, because we can have plenty of conversations where we're both in the kitchen, not facing each other and talking about things. But to really be intentional and sitting on the couch together and making eye contact and really hearing each other and, and sharing so that we're known it's a really powerful thing. Okay, so I have a question about that too. I ask lots and lots of questions, and I try to be the audience when I ask it in my mind. So I, I'll, I'll be myself. I come home most days. My husband comes home. We watch TV. We have dinner. We talk about this and that. We watch a lot of Netflix, and then we go to bed. So I wouldn't say that we actually carve out time for that. And, and so I guess my question to you is, yes, this is work that you're doing with couples that experience betrayal and heartache, and you're trying to help them regain something. But what about couples who have a functioning sex life and they aren't really connecting in the ways that you talk about? How does that work? I, I'm trying to think that through. Yeah. So what you just mentioned there is a day in the life, you know, that I think most most uh, couples can relate to. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're talking about passive bonding there. The two of you are together. You know, it's good time. You're not in any kind of uh, active uh, argument. But the, the other angle, of course, is intentional bonding. And you don't have to, you know, go pedal to the metal every day on that. But I think most couples, if you ask them, you know, could you stand to feel a little bit more connected? At least most couples would be interested in that. Most couples would say, yeah, sure. Um, break it down a little bit. Living room, bedroom. Yes, yes. So that's where I, I think, you know, you, we, we started out with this model here that was for a very specific population. 
But uh, I don't think there's a couple out there that wouldn't benefit from being at least a little bit more intentional. And we're just trying to make it as easy as possible to do that. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, we've got 40 some exercises here. Um, you could you could kind of just blindly thumb through and stop on one and say, OK, we're going to do this one tonight. And and again, um, might probably is going to lead to a, a heightened sense of connection. So you've talked about sensuality, you've talked about communication. What is the third leg uh, that uh, a relationship that needs to heal is standing on if the couple's going to deeply reconnect? Yeah, so in, in our model, it's education. And this part of it is book education. It's, you know, we're going to teach you some concepts and we want you to read this to educate yourselves. But a lot of it is each person getting to know themselves better. We consider that the most important form of education. So, so many of the communication exercises have this educational component where first uh, you're asked to search yourself. And, and develop a higher level of understanding and then to share that with each other. So uh, we get into this flow of understanding self and then teaching our spouse about ourself. And then, of course, when we're on the receiving end, we're, we're learning as much as we can. So that would be the third leg of that stool. And when you've got the communication, the sensuality, and the learning pieces all working together, that's a powerhouse. Um, now you're really engineering flow. And if you're struggling with betrayal, that's part of, your, of what you're working on. Now you're in an infinitely stronger position to overcome that. It is fascinating because you're not really saying that sex is about sex. You're not really saying that intimacy about is about sex necessarily, but you're putting forth these categories that create intimacy. And you're not saying sex, you're saying sensuality, communication, education, that this is what brings couples together. I think most of us think, well, let's just get in bed and we'll want to do something and that's how we get close and then we'll go back to watching Netflix. So um, when you say intentional, I think I understand more what you mean is you're really setting a structure out for what people need to do and will have to do if they want things to get better. Um, I was just thinking, so I'll just tell a little bit dirty secret. I, I've been scoring to, to physical therapy for a little while. And uh, just a small problem I'm having. And I was shocked because I'd never been in physical therapy before. And I thought, well, I'll come once a week and they'll make it better. You know, the massage here and the rub here and they'll put this and that in there. And it'll be better. And then at the end of the PT, they said, you know, here are your exercises and you need to take these home and do them. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't come here to do a bunch of exercise at home. I came here to get fixed in the office. And so if I don't do the exercises, I don't get better. I can imagine, I wonder whether couples struggle with, you know, finding the time for this, making it a priority, especially if it's scary and uncomfortable, it's kind of an easy thing to kind of push off. So I'm wondering how you keep couples motivated to want to keep moving toward each other, because this is work and it takes time and you got to organize it and all of that. Definitely. And, you know, I think just like going to physical therapy, when couples come to therapy, it's usually motivated by pain. And so pain can be very motivating, whether it's, uh, you know, either feeling betrayal trauma or just feeling maybe a little lonely in the relationship and wanting to feel more connected, but not really being sure how. And then having that bomb, right? Having something that, you know, really learning skills that can help, you know, keep that flow going in your relationship you know, that can really end up being very self-reinforcing and self-motivating. And so that's what we really try and help our couples to establish. Yeah. And the other, the other thing is, Rob, you, you know, it's, it's, it's often the case where we run into resistance. 
And, you know, I always tell uh, the couples I work with, especially the men, you know, when it's either obvious, you know, or, or subtle that they're struggling with the, with the structure. Hey, I get it. I, I know what it feels like to resist structure. I remember when uh, Ginger and I were doing our couples therapy many years ago, and we were introduced to a model of communicating. And I remember walking out of that therapist's office and I was just shaking my head. And I said to her, I said, normal, normal people don't talk to each other this way. And, uh, <laughs> and Ginger said something to the effect of, yeah, well, you know, maybe we should try something that's a little abnormal, um, you know. Right. Maybe we're not normal. <laughs> and what is normal anyway? You're saying healthy couples. I think healthy couples sort of do some of this automatically. They may not yeah. do it mm-hmm. structured. You know, we have to take time out of the, They just do it because they're healthy and they were connected deeply when they were young and they want to be deeply reconnected in their adult lives. Yeah, yeah. For, for sure. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Do you see couples, some couples who are much more successful at being able to find an intimate life versus couples that really still struggle as hard as they may be working to, I don't know, to be sexual, to have that feeling of connection. I, I, I wonder if there are harder cases than others. Oh, definitely. Sure. Yeah, I think so much of it has to do with trauma with, mm-hmm. um, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, how much unresolved trauma are we looking at on each individual side and collectively? So what do you mean by trauma? Well, I think what we're referring to is when um, our attachment is damaged. And that can happen either in childhood or it can happen in our adult relationships. So are you saying that when you have deep bonds to people mm-hmm. and they've been broken historically or they're being broken now, that that creates a whole set of experiences you might carry through your whole life? Absolutely. And, and then that would lead you towards trying to you know, resolve pain or loneliness or anxiety outside of your relationship because- Alcohol, sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, work, you mm-hmm. know- That's actually what's coming to mind for me right now is that, you know, a couple that we've been working with that, you know, I think on paper is doing really well, but they could be doing so much better, but they both struggle with um, excessive work. And so, you know, and not even recognizing how much that takes them away from each other and reinforces a lack of that emotional intimacy and connection. The work is such a tough one because it's so self-rewarding. It's yes. not like you're drinking or using, you know, in work, you get paid more. People say, oh, you're doing a great job. How late you stay. How fantastic. You're so dedicated. Yes. And what it may be is we're avoiding rather than moving towards something, maybe we're actually moving away from something. Yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. How do people balance I don't know. Maybe this isn't the right thing to say, but you guys have a couple of kids. I know this because I've met them. Of course, they were little when I met them, and now they're enormous. That's a whole different story. Yes. But anyway, you guys have kids. You have both obviously busy professional lives. I'm sure your house needs to be taken care of sometimes. There's always meetings to go to and, you know, when we're out of the house more. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you a kind of um, provocative question. Who really has time for this? I mean, I can barely get my clients to read a book or go to a meeting. So, you know, one of you said something about pain is one of the greatest motivators. And that's very sad, right? That most of our people come to us not because they want to improve their lives, because they want to get out of pain. And then hopefully in that process, we do improve their lives. But what is the kind of pain that non-intimate couples are experiencing that would make them want to do this work? Well, I think most people are, are simply motivated by 
you know, wanting a better relationship, wanting to heal their relationship. At, at least most people are interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the time factor is very real. And it's something I think that presents a major acceptance issue right up front. It's right there with, with the, um, you know, you've got to accept, accept that we're going to need to find time in our busy lives to prioritize our relationship. And the relationship, it's always the easiest thing to give on. Uh, because it doesn't really affect anyone other than than your spouse. And hey, if it seems like, you know, he or she's okay with it, well, I guess I'm kind of okay with it. We'll just get to it tomorrow. You know, you can kick that can indefinitely. So accepting, first of all, that the time has to come from somewhere and then the structure also, like we talked about, that's a big buy-in, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's a pretty simple formula. If you do have the willingness to prioritize your relationship, in other words, find time. It doesn't have to be, you know, an hour every night. It can be a half hour, two to three times a week, something that gives you traction. It's enough time where you're at, you can actually feel yourselves making progress because there is no substitute for that distinct feeling that, yeah, you know what? I think things are starting to get better. And just understanding that you can't just will it that way. You can't wish it that way. You have to be willing to put in the work just like anything else. You know, I so appreciate the two of you because you really do a great job of simply explaining things that are so tough. And when couples are standing apart from each other, looking across a huge chasm and thinking, how do we cross this thing? Instead of setting them up with huge expectations and a whole lot of things, you know, that are that are, you got to look at trauma, you look at your past, you both have your couples there for this and that. You're really giving them some simple tools to begin to grow something between each other, whether or not they've been to therapy, whether or not they've been to support groups, but just in terms of the two of them working together in one way toward one goal. And then, of course, the other things that are getting in the way do, but they can be pushed aside. So what you're giving people, I think, is such a great roadmap to how they might get what we all want, which is to be closer, to feel more loved, to be more appreciated. I mean, we all really have the same needs um, as much as we'd like to pretend we don't. Let me ask you, Dr. Spurkaw, if somebody wanted to do, let's say, a workshop with you guys, something online, how would they find out about it? Where would they go look? Well, you can go to our website. It's drsbercall.com. That's D-R-S-B-E-R-C-A-W.com. And we do the intensives, Rob, they're all online at this point. So they're really more like online workshops as opposed to in-person intensives. And we offer them on a private basis. That's just rolling. That's just reach out and, um, you know, we'll we'll work out a time and we'll set up a program for, you know, that couple uh, that that works for them. And then we also have group online workshops. Uh, The next one, I believe, is coming up in early or mid-January. But either way, uh, we're going to walk you through different concepts of SRT, uh, sexual reintegration therapy, and support that with some exercises, some experiences that really reinforce the, the learning. So you're Bill at drsbacaw.com and, and Ginger is Ginger at drsbacaw.com. I'm just guessing. Yes, that's right. Okay. So sometimes people want to write you know, a man or a woman, and I think we want to make that available to them. You know, folks, I just... To all of you out there and to these people, this is the kind of work that we don't always get. You know, we look at trauma, we heal emotional problems, we try to work out our relationships with being better parents, you know, pushing away our addictions. But the, the piece of really growing together what we really want, there isn't as much therapy around that. And thank you, Burkaz, for making it possible that maybe our lives with each other can be better. And I really hope that you come back because I know you have a lot more to talk about. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for having us today, Dr. Rob. It's been a ton of fun. And thanks for paving the way for us, Rob. It was your pioneering work and, and your fellow pioneers that really made our work possible. So we'll always remember that. Thank you. And I would say one day at a time. We are all little heroes, for sure, for doing what we do. And, you know, we have our own stuff. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure. And, um, and we'll have you back soon. Have a great day. Be safe and take care of your beautiful children. Oh, thanks thanks so much, Rob. Thank you. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.